do, 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 do. Here we go. My name is Todd. <laughs> this is Kathy. Drinking coffee. <laughs> Sorry about that. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is, uh, I think, podcast number 464. I guess I'll have to double check that. Um, does that sound right? Oh, sweetie doesn't know. She's giving me hand signals. You ask me every week if I know, and I don't. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we have some quick takes. I have some pop culture movie TV show quotes. And uh, last night, we didn't have a good direction on where the show was going. And I'm looking at a sheet of paper that my darling started writing on since her shower this morning, and it's more than I've written in the last month. Well, really what it is is there's like 10 things I wanted to talk about, and I just was trying to figure out how to incorporate them all into one topic because, you know, we only have a certain amount of time here. I um, do. So I think I, I think I can do it. And I have a bunch of listeners' questions, but I don't think we're going to get to it I because so. Kathy's got a whole bunch of good stuff cooking. Um, real quick, uh, we have a Zen Talk this Friday. We have a um, we had a sex talk last night. Correct, because they're listening to this on Tuesday. Wasn't that a great sex it was talk? Such we did? a great talk. Weren't we so great? We were so good during the talk. Yeah, we haven't done it yet. We're, no. but it's uh, it's about uh, sex, sexual assault, and consent. And I think we're going to do it virtually too. So mm. if you're not in uh, Teams in, te- well, hold on. If like tonight we're doing oh. it in Elmhurst at the library. And so, and it's full, it's a hundred people coming. Um, and so, and we've gotten a lot of emails from people saying, are you going to tape it? Are you going to tape it? We're not taping anything. Um, but I think we'll do a zoom call for teams and it'll be free, but for other people, um, they can just, it'll pay a few bucks and, and listen and watch and ask questions. Yeah. We'll figure that out in the next week or so. Um, speaking of teams and it is a support community. Yep. Bunch of moms and dads and you and I, yep. and we support each other. I want to highlight what we did on Zen Talk number 38, which was about a month or so ago. Uh, one of our teammates, um, her husband's family ostracized her and her family she's co-creating, and it hurts, so she needed some support with that. Uh, Dawn's kids were going to uh, school you just, full-time. You're using names, but that's all right. It's just a first right. name. Uh, Dawn's kids are going to school first time, and she's anxious about being uber productive. You remember that call? I do. And then lastly, Lavina's son is sensitive and is now old enough to get yelled at by coaches. Right. How does she support him? So that's what we talked about on Zen Talk 38. The next Zen Talk is actually Zen Talk number 44, but I just went back in the archives. Numbers are very important to you, sweetie. Well, people want to know. <laughs> They want to know which number it is? Yeah, in case you're like, oh, that's interesting to me. I would like to hear oh, about... Oh, good point. Okay. Thank you. I'll take that back. I just... You're just always giving the number. I'm playing two clips. One is from a TV show that a few good friends, your sister, my sister-in-law, um, and my good friend Bubba told me about. Okay. Uh, also known as Keith Wilhite. Um, a show on ABC called A Million Little Things. Okay. And um, I've only watched the very first episode, but I think I'm hooked. We'll see what happens. Um, because it has Sean from Psych. Sean from Psych is in it. There's a scene where um, one of the uh, there's a group of four adult male friends, and one of them had committed suicide. And the three of them, it's the day of his funeral. They're at the bar, and they're about to have a toast in honor and in memory of their buddy who just passed away. John. And to that tradition he started on the elevator all those years ago. I'm not drinking to that. I spend 40 hours a week valuing people's lives for insurance companies. The time that we spend together isn't worth a damn thing. Dude. Really? Do the math. 
average length of a hockey game is two hours, 19 minutes times 41 home games for 10 years. That means I spent almost 950 hours sitting next to John and I had no idea that he was depressed. Did you? Did you? No. You want to know why? Because we don't talk. Yes, we do. No, Ed, we don't. The last time we said anything deep was when we were in that elevator. We were more honest with each other before we were friends. Now we do this. We sit shoulder to shoulder like guys, like we're doing right now. And the truth, the very sad truth is that we don't really know each other. I bet you two don't even know what color my eyes are. Yeah, I'll drink. I'll, I'll drink to whatever we thought this was. Very profound. Right. So and is the other guy, when he's, I was kind of watching it with you, but I was milling around. When he says, I'll drink to what I thought this was, is he denying what, I, I'm going to call him Sean because he's yeah. Sean from Psych, what Sean is saying? He or, thinks that they have this really strong friendship. So he's kind of like overriding what Sean yeah. just said. Oh, so he's kind of like, I'm not even going to hear that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to drink to what I think we have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's basically just holding a mirror up saying, what is this friendship? We had a friend who just passed away because he was depressed and none of us knew about it. And the other guy that they're sitting with, our favorite guy from 40-Year-Old Virgin, yeah. he is depressed too. Yeah. And he hasn't told anybody. Correct. So so it's a good commercial for my tribe men's group. So if there's any yeah. Chicago men out there who want to have authentic conversations, uh, shoot me an email at Todd at ZenParentingRadio.com or go to the TribeMensGroup.com. Yeah. The other clip, which I think is funnier, okay. it's a clip from a movie um, called uh, Eighth Grade. Can oh, you, yeah. Can you explain to the parents? <laughs> well, we actually talked about it on the show already. Um, I know, but not this clip. Okay. So are you going to play the one when they're in the, when they are, the teachers are talking? No. Oh. So this is a part where uh, there's a 13-year-old girl. Yes. And she's riding in the car with her dad. Okay. So first, let me say, Eighth Grade is a movie that came out about about six months ago. It's now on uh, hey, Amazon, Google, of iTunes whatever, or whatever, iTunes. And so I saw it with some girlfriends of mine and I loved it. But I was like, Todd is going to love this because really it's the relationship between the girl and her dad. Yeah. Mom's so, not around. Right. Mom is not in the picture in this movie. So anyway, that's the beginning. So, she, so her dad is driving her to the mall and she's on her phone playing a game on her phone. And this is what ensues. Can you not look like that, please? What? Like what? Just like the way you're looking. Looking at the road? You can look at the road, Dad. I obviously didn't mean that. Just like, don't be weird and quiet while you do it. Sorry. Hey, how was the shadow No, thing? you were being quiet, which is fine. Just like... Don't be weird and quiet, because, like, I look over at you and I think you're about to drive us into a tree or something, and then I get really freaked out, and then I can't text my friends. So just, like, be quiet and drive, and don't look weird and sad. Please. Okay. <laughs> That's worse. <laughs> I, love, I love that, Daddy's like... Okay. Yeah, that, that there's nothing, and there's my, you know, this this is funny. Is is unlikable as she is in that one moment. You oh, totally she's lovely. Through you the cheer movie. for her. You right. love her. You want her to do well. Well, she, it, and and she gives her dad her worst version of herself. That's what I was gonna say. Is that basically he's the only one that can take all the tension that she carries in her life. Like she does a good job explaining in the movie how. 
her anxiety for her is like constantly standing in re- uh, in line for a roller coaster and she can never finish the roller coaster. Mm-hmm. So she has the butterflies that she has before she gets on and she's constantly in that state of anxiety. And so he's the only one that can take, you know, she knows that he's the one that loves her the most. So, you know. And this is how I know I'm an old man because when I see that movie, um, you know, when we all saw The Breakfast Club 30 years ago, we saw it through the eyes of the teenager. And now I totally look at that movie through the eyes of the dad and I totally like cheer for him. And his dad is just, he's amazing and lovable and likable. And he's just trying his best. And he always says, nice. <laughs> he always like tries to talk he's in this way. He's trying to be cool and it's not so cool. So this is a rated R movie. Correct. This is not for anybody that's 16 or less. Oh, well, no, well, I, rated I disagree. R, rated R is 17, sweetie. I will let my 13-year-old watch this. And it's funny because we were having conversation with friends about how they did take their daughter to see the movie and how someone was totally like, um, shaming them for like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't even take my high schooler. This is about kids in eighth grade. This is kind of the denial that we have about that our kids don't know the things that we think they know. Right. And I think you're right. We have a sophomore and an eighth grader. And of we'll let I'll both let them of them Sam. do it, but yeah. we're not going to let our sixth or fifth grader. No. I mean, if there was a reason that she really wanted to see it or we could discuss it or maybe a few parts we could fast forward through, but she doesn't, she's not even interested. Right. So it's, right. but to me, those kind of experiences of watching a rated R movie um, is, is does it lend itself to discussing something of value? Mm-hmm. Is it just, if, it, if it's just a horror movie that there's nothing about it that is going to create any meaningful conversation, maybe it's not the best choice. But if this movie has some significant value in it. Yes, absolutely. Wouldn't you say? Yes. So we're big fans. Um, before you get into your gist, the conference, sure. do you want to give a quick two cents plug on it? Sure. So the conference is March 8th and 9th, the Zen Parenting Conference. We have Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambeck and uh, Julie Lithcott-Hames and Devorah Heitner and a few other people who are going to be coming, but we'll probably wait until January to do that that. big push. Um, But it's going to be amazing. We also have some amazing partners that are coming, and we'll start promoting them in the next couple months. Actually, our last partner, I'm ready to promote Anne-Marie. Oh, good. Go, go. So Anne-Marie Chereso, I think I said that right. Um, I always screw up her, her last name. She's got a nice Italian name. Even though we're good friends. Um, so apologies to you, Anne-Marie. Um, the company that she founded is called Bring It Home and she's got three new things that's pretty cool. She has a podcast called University and it's focused on the college transition for Gen X and their parents. Uh, Campus Leadership Club, it's a weekly drop in coaching call for stressed out college students. Wow. And then lastly, she wrote a book. It's called Little Seeds Journey, a mindful children's book for kids, parents, and educators. So you can learn more about Anne-Marie at bringithome.me. So we've been partnering with Anne-Marie in one way or the other for years, and she's just one of those people who like... If there's a need, she figures out how to jump in there and do something about it. Mm-hmm. And she's a wonderful mindfulness teacher, and we just think she's tremendous. So yeah. we're just glad to partner with and her. And she's speaking at the Downers Grove Dads Group uh, on Monday. Uh-huh. So Anne-Marie, she's, uh, she's amazing. So thank you for your partnership, Anne-Marie. If there's any other uh, people out there that are part of businesses that want to partner with us, let us know. And remember that if you've got a small business, like where you're like, I can't do this huge partner- partnership or I'm not going to do a vendor table, there are smaller level where you can get a ticket and be a partner for only $500. So that's a pretty good deal. So anyway, go to zenparentingradio.com. So Todd, this is the the attempt I'm going to make here. Okay. Okay. So today is voting day. Okay. So a lot of people, if you're listening to this show on Tuesday, November 6th, 
Today is the day, the final day to vote. Of I midterms. voted two weeks ago. When did you vote? I voted last Friday and I was in line for like an hour and 15 minutes. Yes. And I was not. Yeah. I like walked right through. I just, I went super early. But um, so for those of you who haven't voted, I hope you have a plan. If you're listening to this in the morning, do not get sidetracked by anything else. Just go do it. Go vote. Take, make it your lunch. Do whatever you have to do because this isn't like a thing like, oh, maybe... This is like a, it's a must. It's a must. I voting. I have shifted. I there's a few elections I missed. I have to be <clears> honest, <throat> but I don't think that'll ever happen again in my lifetime. Ever. Yeah, I wonder why. I know. Um, so what I want to talk about was to kind of bring in the fact that today's voting day, but also to bring in something that um, is very interesting to me as far as helping people and supporting people with their fear. Um, is talking about how fear is really a viewpoint. And fear is like, you know, you and I have been talking a lot about gender studies lately and how really if we want to understand how someone else experiences something, we have to take off our own glasses and put on another pair of glasses. Fear is a pair of glasses, Mm. okay? It's deeper than that. It's not that simple. Um, It is actually the, the thing that I want to like connect it to is how fear often comes from the trauma that we experience in life, excuse me, and also the secrets we keep, the shame that we hold, and the things that we don't talk about. Mm -hmm. So one of the, I was listening, I was cleaning the kitchen yesterday and I was listening to an old podcast. It's an old Krista Tippett podcast. Do do you have Becoming Wise as one of your podcasts? No. So I don't even know if Becoming Wise is still running because it was from 2016 and I was just kind of re-listening to yeah. it. But this guy named um, Bessel van der Kolk, so he is a author and also a uh, therapist, and he treats people who have been traumatized, who carry trauma in their body. Mm-hmm. And now here's the thing. I'm saying that like he, like people who carry trauma in their body. Anybody who has experienced trauma, they carry it in their body. Here's what we do when we have experienced a trauma. We actually, because trauma and feelings come in the body, and I'll give an example. Like when, if somebody, um, if, if there's a breakup and someone hurts you, what's the language we use? We say she or he broke. My heart. Broke my heart. So we obviously use language. Yeah physical language that they hurt something inside of us, or if we're really nervous, we feel it in our stomach, right? So there's a total mind-body connection. We all know, uh, if you don't know that, you know, make that connection. And so if people have experienced trauma, and let me just stop for a second and explain a little bit about trauma, because a lot of times when people say that word, we assume it's somebody else. We're like, oh, that's a veteran coming home from war. That's somebody who has been sexually assaulted. Anybody from their history can experience trauma. Yep. I have learned so much about my own trauma, and a lot of times it was just from what people said to me. Mm-hmm. It, it, but I carried it in my body as a truth, yeah. and this is what we do. <clears throat> if we cannot tolerate that broken heart or that that stomach pain that that you know, eighth-grade girl is feeling in yeah. her stomach, we usually do one of two things. We either numb it, with a number like alcohol or drugs. Or productivity. Or productivity. Visit, cigarettes. Yeah, we food. just shut it down. Yeah. And that's way we can keep feeling, but we're like feeling something else. Or keep moving. Keep like, moving. Yeah. The other thing we do is we cut ourselves off from our body. Okay? okay. That's the other option. Yeah. So we actually stop feeling what's going on in our body and we just become a floating head. Correct. 
And there, this is just as common to me as the other. A lot of people I talk to become very cerebral, knowledge-based, learning. Um, they don't even know. Like, it's funny because every time I go see Dr. Kelly, my chiropractor, she kind of jokes with me about the fact that like any pain I have in my body, I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. I feel very connected to my body yeah. and for better or worse, yeah. right? And she talks to me about how a lot of people don't even know when they're having pain in their body. They don't, they don't I know. I can completely identify with that. Can you really? Yeah. But you've had, like, give me, what do you, what's your feedback on that? If you look at the difference between you and I, as far as um, feeling, mm -hmm. like, you know, how are you feeling? I'd be, I feel good. Or, and you'll like, no, you will have a body awareness mm -hmm. that it's very hard for me to tap into that awareness. Mm -hmm. And when something bad happens, I think the feeling instead of feel the feeling. Got it. Okay? Yes, 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 yes. You think, so something may come up in you, but you've kind of disconnected to that a little Correct. bit. And all of a sudden you're like, I think I'm supposed to be sad about this. To the point where sometimes I pull up YouTube clips or Google or whatever clips of, you know, things that make you cry just so I can make sure I'm a human being feeling something yes. on this earth. And so that's why I love that you do yoga mm -hmm. because I know that yoga for you, you're always doing your push-ups and yoga and everything, but that's not what yoga's for. Sweetie, my goal is a hundred push-ups every session, <laughs> I know, which Todd's I rarely like, get to. Todd's like, woo, woo, woo. Um, but yoga is really for reconnecting with your body. I know. Obviously the origination of yoga was so we could meditate, right? Yeah. And But to me, it's staying connected and feeling what's happening in your body, which is why I love teachers that say, just do what feels right. Because sometimes my body doesn't want to do a certain thing, but it really wants to do a different thing. Yeah. And so, and that is about feeling what's going on and connecting the mind and the body. How do we do that? Through breath. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's a whole, uh, you know, I'm not going down the yoga path. Basically, Bessel uh, van der Kolk's book is called The Body Keeps Score. Oh, wow. Okay. So we keep, the, we carry that trauma in our body and we either numb it or we separate from it by just becoming, you know, a knowledge-based person, cerebral. And wh what is, you know, the solution to that problem? is to start talking about it. Mm. Isn't that so great? Which like, is a head exercise. It, it, it starts as a head exercise, but it starts to create the pathways again where we can connect to our body. And a lot of people ask me, or my students ask me more than adults do, but they'll ask me, why does therapy work? Like, what's the point of talk therapy? I can talk to my friend, I can talk to my mom, I can talk. The point of talk therapy is you start to say things out loud that maybe you've never spoken before. Mm -hmm. You're in a safe environment to say things that you've probably never said because of shame yeah. or because of fear. Like what I've realized about my own trauma, my own experiences, <clears throat> is I know it's trauma when the feeling that comes up is terror. Mm -hmm. Like I feel terrified. And I've said that to the therapist that I work with is I'll know that something is, is historical even if it's not literally the same thing as what happened in history, the feeling that comes up for me is terror. It's somehow connected. And I know that it's trauma for right. me because it's not, it's too big for present time. Yeah. It's, it's the, the stimulus that whatever made you feel this way is really small in comparison yes. to what is happening. Yes. And what, and what I loved about learning that about myself and then listening to Bessel talk on this podcast and also knowing his book is that you, that terror that you feel, it, it, he's, you know, he says, yes, that's kind of the initial feeling. That's like the tap on the shoulder that something needs to be looked at. So fear is not always a bad thing right. because sometimes when it comes up as terror or just, I'm afraid, it's a tap on the shoulder to say, look at me. 
Well, and you could say the same thing about anger or frustration Correct. or any other emotion or feeling that we're talking about. Correct. They're all guideposts, They're right? Exactly. And sometimes even anger is very connected to fear. Yeah. You know, we get angry because we're afraid, right? <laughs> so that tap on the shoulder is an invitation to look at something that hasn't been looked at. But what we often do is we will instead numb out Eat, that terror. Work out. Or disconnect. Drink, disconnect. Right. I'm not really afraid. I'm going to go. You know, <laughs> I'm going to get. I'm going to get all muscular, yeah. and I'm going to start to look bigger, and yeah. I'm going to, you know, get weapons, and I'm going to be not afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a we kind of disconnect from the way we feel. Well, so you know, what's interesting is I think I have two stories. I don't know which one I'm going to tell. The first one is to to one time we went around our men's group and we checked in with how are you feeling, and we said, listen, this is when we say how you're feeling. I don't want to hear. I'm mad at my kid because, or I had a really bad day at work. Like literally, how are you feeling? And basically what we like, use description words of how this is showing up in your body. And even though we gave the guys that kind of opening, it's so easy to go back, I'm, I'm feeling mad. I, I'm Like right. what does that mean? You're, what is mad? We're not talking about your brain here. We're talking about your neck and below. Like how are you feeling? Or maybe you have a headache. Like that's a feeling. You have an ache in your head. But just to be mad is just a word. So that's the one thing. And the other thing you talk about, an overcompensation. In the last year, I've declared myself a feminist and all that. And um, it's funny, and I think I shared this with you. I listened to a podcast about how men um, have quote unquote, female type jobs, like a nurse. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy that was interviewed on the podcast and he's like a workout maniac. Right. And they asked, do you work out so much because you're in this kind of female occupation? And he's like, I never really thought about it, but probably because yes. that makes him feel more comfortable. So what's weird is, you know, I spent the last 20 years of my life on yoga mats and playing basketball, Just, but just in the last year or so, I've spent more time in the weight room than I ever have. Oh my gosh, how interesting. And I think it's because my masculinity might be questioned if I declare myself a feminist. Inside your masculinity, right. Right. Inside or how I'm perceived by other men. So if I'm big and strong, which I'm not, but like I'm working out more than I ever have, then I will, it's just, and that's kind of a, a detour. Oh, it's but. so interesting. And you know what? Let me say, because I you said this, but I want to bring this back into you. You may feel like because you are, you are diving into more t- quote unquote feminine areas that you need to build yourself up in your like because of how others will perceive me. Mm-hmm. That's all through your eyes yeah, too. Yeah, it's probably me. That's like, just you. Well, and the fact that nobody really cares how I look, right. including <laughs> you. I mean, you want me to be healthy, but right. it's so funny. Like in our twenties and thirties, we're like trying to get all buff. And the more I, the more I understand women, they, they don't really care that much, no. especially the big, huge bodybuilders. They think that, that they're even more attractive, but I I think to most women, the huge bodybuilders are, it's a turn off. Well, there's nothing soft about it. Yes, there's nothing, right. it's so like hard and like, it's yes. like a big balloon yes, that's been blown right. up. And you know, it's funny, they talk about that a lot on Armchair Expert, Dak Shepard. He's, he loves the idea of building up his body oh, and yeah. how his wife is always like, you know, you don't need to do that. Yeah, nope. you're doing that for you. You're don't, doing that for you. Right. And he says, the only dudes who ever comment or the only people who ever comment on my body are dudes. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, so then if you're, but if you're trying to get all buff to be attractive to you, the female gender, then you're, 
you're not doing that. Well, and that's the deep thought is one thing that I learned. And I remember someone said this to me in college and I didn't initially believe them is they said, girls and women get dressed up for other girls and women. And I was like, that's not true. We're trying, you know, we're, we're trying to look good and whatever. And men get buffed up for men. Yeah. They're not really doing it for us. And, but I think that requires, for a man to admit that, it requires a certain amount of awareness. Correct. And I think most of them say, no, I don't care what dudes look, think of me. Right. When in fact, that is probably more truth than... You just said it. Yeah. You said, I am maybe questioning... And it's so like unconscious. And Todd is like unpacking something very unconscious, which is why I appreciate this. This is like... I'm diving more into this area of feminism, so I'm lifting weights more because of what other guys might perceive me as. So you are doing it for other men because you want them to perceive you as manly. Still. Right, but but those men are representing a part, part of, of your me, head, a yes. part of my head. Like yes. maybe I'm questioning my own. Like, do I really believe in this feminism right. thing? Do I really want things to be equal? Right. Maybe that there is some buried, deep. Um, uh, what's the word? Pain body or something sure. like that that says. You know, like I'm questioning my own belief system in that exercise. Right. And that's called fear. Yeah. And a lot of that is what you've been trained to think. So a lot of the work you've been doing is diving into that cave and saying, I want to look around here and I'm going to go this way because this feels right. But fear will always say, are you sure? Mm -hmm. Are you sure you're going to do this? That's that's called being human. Yeah. Like anybody who says, I'm 100% this and I never feel otherwise, you're cut off from your body. Right. You're everybody has fears. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. We were just talking about, you know, going back to this experience of what we need to do to reconnect to our bodies. And obviously there's things like yoga, but really the beginning of it is talking and saying what you're afraid of. Because until you do that, your glasses are constantly fear-based. And I will use, uh, you know, another pop culture. Todd and I just finished the uh, haunting of uh, Hill House last week. Uh, on Halloween. And it is a spooky show. Like Manisha texted me last night. She's like, Chris and I, I don't think we can do this. Oh, really? They got into the first one and it was too scary for mm -hmm. them. I totally honor that. Some of you may love scary things. Some of you may not. It is spooky. Yeah. And so I'm not going to tell you otherwise. But I also think it's worth it. Mm -hmm. I think the spookiness is just a, a reeling you in so you can get the deeper meaning. Because what happens to these kids, and I'm not going to give anything away, Ted, because I know that you know you don't want me to ruin this, but is they have secrets, and they have shame, and they have trauma, and they never talk about it. Yeah. And what that causes for them is they see everything through a lens of fear. Yeah. Okay? So one thing to recognize for those of you who have seen um, the show, and I hope this doesn't give anything away. Stop me if it does, Todd. Okay is the scariest moments. Or you could just say that this might be a spoiler alert too. Well, so yeah, and I'm hoping it's not. Yeah, I'm hoping it's not, but the scariest moments in that series of 10 episodes is when they're afraid or angry. Mm -hmm. So when one of the kids or the parents is afraid or angry, there's either a pop out mm -hmm. or something happens that's pretty significant and spooky. Yeah. And so Todd and I started to make that connection at the end because they kind of help you out with that at the end. You start to see it for really what it is, is that if you are in fear and if you are ashamed mm -hmm. and if you're holding secrets, then everything you see is scary. I have a better example. Okay. Maybe not better, but uh, similar. Sixth Sense. Right. Same thing. So we've talked about that. If you don't, if you haven't seen it, you don't want to know the ending. Just fast forward 30 seconds. But the boy sees... <laughs> if you haven't seen The Sixth Sense by now. The boy sees dead people and they scare the crap out right. of them. And then they realize that they are not... Um, he he reframes who they are. Mm -hmm. And really they were 
dead people needing help. Right. They wanted support. So, and even as the viewer, we saw them as scary people and then they kind of go back into a montage and you realize, oh, they just needed some help. Right. And this boy could help them. But because he was afraid, the way he saw them was scary. And then when he realized these are people... Mm He and again, I that's what really the horror genre is for, I think. And it, you know, I've said to you before on this show that when I was younger, I was very into the horror genre, which is why the fact that my older daughter is kind of into it right now, I get it. I'm not like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I went through my own kind of horror movie phase. And I think it's to deal with our fear. I really do. I think I had to work something through, and I don't even know if I completely worked it through, but I had to like confront something in myself. Right. And then I was done. I, I don't really... Hill House is probably the first scary thing I've done in years and years and years. There's another good quote from a movie called Jacob's Ladder. Uh-huh. Um, Danny Aiello plays the chiropractor guardian angel. Yeah. Um, and he just talks about how these demons are really just angels depending on how you look at them. So let me bring this into voting. Okay. I'm going there. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go there. The Caravan. Yes. Okay. Okay. The Caravan that is on its way to the United States is no different than any other group of people that have ever been on their way to the United States. These are people seeking asylum. These are people who are in countries that they can no longer raise their kids in a way that keeps them safe. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want you to think about that and recognize that these are people just like us. We're no different. They just happen to be born in a war-torn country or at a place where either the what was going on as far as gangs or what was going on as far as um, dictatorship or what, you know, there's so oppression. many oppression. Thank you. Just a good overall word. They couldn't survive there anymore. They wanted to give their children a better life. And this happens all the time. Right now, the news is so focused on as if this there's like this magical this caravan. New. This is not new. This right. happens all the time. And if you would look at these people, they are women and they are children. I almost posted a picture of this little girl who actually like, and cause I could, I made me cry. Cause I'm like us, all of us who had been walking, think about how long these people have been walking no and who fell to the ground and refused to go any further. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have, have any of your children ever done that? Mm-hmm. But were you ever like trying to find a place where you could be safe and eat and sleep? Or were you just trying to get to target? Yeah. Okay. My point in saying this is if you are already wearing fear-based glasses, if you see. are already afraid, you are going to see something scary. And there is somebody telling you, this is scary. Yeah. Just and, and I'm going to I'm going to ch- cut back to Hill House, right? Okay. There is one of the spirits in Hill House who wants everyone to see everything scary yeah. because she saw it scary. What was her name? Poppy. Poppy, yeah. And so she says, "Yes, this is bad." Yes, yes, yes. She wants people to join her in her fear. Yeah. Now you notice she's the only one who did that. Yeah. Okay. So and other people in the house, sorry, other ghosts are like. She lies. Yes. Don't believe <laughs> Don't this believe one. Don't believe this one. And I kind of feel like depending on where you're getting news from. Yes. And this is what I'm trying to say is that if you are in fear already, if the glasses that you wear are everything's going to hell, mm-hmm. everybody's out to get us, we are in trouble, you will see a scary caravan. And that's just one thing. And that of, becomes their reality. And that becomes what, and you will pull out things to demonstrate it. And you'll say, you know, evidence, evidence. Right. And you know, what about this? And what about this? This is no different than what has ever happened before. Yeah. And the, and they are us. And I'm not saying like when people say that they're like, Oh, then you want open borders and you, I don't, I'm, this is, it's not, it's a false dichotomy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's either an this unfair or that. argument. Yeah. We have a system in place 
that has been working. Maybe not perfectly, of but course not. It, from the 70s, our issues regarding um, immigration yeah. and illegal mm-hmm. immigration, because again, people, you know, there is, you know, anyway, I just don't want to get caught up in the political language here, but it, it had been decreasing. But we had someone who came in who said, no, you need to be afraid of this. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I remember McCain um, in 2016, when all this started to become an issue, or maybe more like 2015, McCain was saying, this is not an issue. Yeah. This is not, we, and he's an, he was an Arizona yeah. senator. Yeah. He was a border guy. Yeah. And yes, it's something we need to continue to work on and add, you know, it's not the, again, false dichotomy that it's nothing. Mm-hmm. It is a thing, but it is not a thing not that people are telling us it is. I'm just using that as an example of like, why are we voting the way that we're voting? Fear is a way that people control us. And if we allow them to, they will. Mm-hmm. That is a way that we manipulate people in the way they think. That doesn't just happen politically. That happens at work. That can happen in relationships. You know, I've been in a, in a you know, abusive relationship before, way before Todd, and it was all about fear and control. Sure. This is what will happen if you don't do that. You know, the, this is something that, this is the oldest trick in the book, right? And not only that, fear and control and pitting people against each other to keep them under control. Mm-hmm. So you, you make everybody below you angry at each other, and then there's no way that anyone's going to, to well, and it's like the overpower whole, you. It's the whole divisive thing. Like, you know, you need to have this side and that side. You know, there's certain people that want to remain in power, and the way that they do that is that they divide. Correct. It's all about division. When, in fact, I would say most of us agree on most things. That's right. But that's not what's being reported. And we care about people. You know, like I've been reading the journalists' accounts on, like, say, at the border. These are people. And if you are there looking eye to eye with a mother mm-hmm. with her child, you're not going to be like illegal, mm-hmm. you know, go back. You know, it's a person. Well, and that's proximity. Depending it on is. who's covering the story, depending on who's giving you the information, we'll, we'll create this container of truths, their own truths, and cater it with the intention to, to persuade you one way or another. So if yes. it's this reporter reporting about how, hey, there's probably gang members in there, and then this is why, because we have a picture of this guy and this is what he did back then, whereas maybe the 99% of the other people are just trying to survive. Exactly, and that's and that's exactly it, is that I know that we that there has been an issue or two yeah. related to people not, coming over the board. We're not denying that. We're not, I'm not denying that. Um, at the same time, like Todd said, the vast majority of those people are good people who want a life. They are mothers raising their children, and they are they are kids. Like I just I can't even say anything else but that they are kids. So can is there a way? Can we figure something out? Is there a so, compassionate approach yeah. that doesn't involve us dehumanizing them? Yeah. Because that's what we talked about on last week's show, where we start to point fingers and say, "You aren't even human to me." And the reason we do that is a protection of our own ego, our own mindset. Because if we see them as human, then we can't. We can't be angry, and we can't call them horrible names because Mm -hmm. we can't hurt people if they are human. And so we dehumanize them so we can say things and do things that aren't compassionate. We make them less than. And if, like you said, proximity, if we see these people, which is why I'm reading and staying connected to what the journalists are experiencing. then all of a sudden, we're like, wait a second, what? And you know, a couple of weeks ago, 
maybe a month ago, Brene Brown posted something about this, about the way that we treat people who are immigrants. And, you know, a lot of people came on her feed and said the things that I expect people probably to say to us now, which is, you know, I follow the laws and we have to follow the laws and those people are illegals and you're creating a problem by, you know, letting them in and all these horrible things. And Brene Brown said, you know what? I hope to God, you never run into a situation where you have to keep yourself and your children safe. But if you do, you're going to do what you have to do. No. Okay. She said, if you do, I will speak up for you too. Mm. That even the people that maybe right now are so angry at a group of people they've never met Mm -hmm. and who are being told to fear, I feel the same way. If you are in a situation where you are struggling for survival, struggling for survival, I will support you too. I don't care what your political beliefs are. Right. I, I'm not looking at you saying, I'll support you, but not you. I'll support you, but not you. Well, we all deserve support. And she tells a story because she lives in Houston. And yes. when the hurricane came ripping yes. through, everybody's helping everybody in boats and all that. It's not like the boat saying, okay, before I pick you up, are you red or are you blue? Right. Like they, Nobody just, pick, they just picked them up. And the first person who passed away in that hurricane mm-hmm. was a Latino man who had like started the process of helping people. Oh, really? Yes. The fir- or the, I shouldn't say the first person who passed away. The first person that was like reported mm. on was someone that someone would look at and say, go back to your country. Yeah. And here's this man helping his community. Of course. And that's the thing is we get, we so to bring all these pieces together, we get detached from our bodies, yeah. which keep us from feeling our hearts. Yeah. Because if you are connected to your body, you cannot dehumanize people. I, I humanize the squirrel in my bird feeder. And that's painful in some ways because I there's a there is too much sometimes. You know what I mean? Like I worry about like my daughter worries about giving away her clothes because she's afraid they'll be mad at her. Mm. Okay. That's too much. Like where she and I are talking about how the clothes will not be mad at you and your stuffed animals will be okay. So like her, her heart she is thinks way... her clothes are going to be mad at her. She, it, it's not that extreme, Todd, connect to your heart with this okay. for a second. <laughs> Don't go into your head. Sorry. She feels bad giving something away because yep. she doesn't want it to think she doesn't care. Mm. Okay. So it's not, she, it's not that she talks to her clothes, right. like go, you know, go into your body. She just, it's when I say, let's clean out your closet and you know exactly who oh, I'm talking, I know about. Who you're talking about. She's like, I can't give that away. Mm. Even you know? though it doesn't fit her anymore. Correct. Yeah. Or like when one of our other daughters wears something of hers, she'll be like, that's mine. It 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 lives with me. Mm-hmm. And there, she's not always being selfish. She cares what it it feels. Okay? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and when I say it's too much, I don't mean she's wrong. I just mean my support for her is to help her find ways of letting go. Mm-hmm. Because that can be painful too when you... You know, when I was little, I used to bump into the couch and tell it I was sorry. Yeah. That's too much. Yeah. You know, that's too... Well, and there's so many examples. Like, there, rarely is there any extreme that is right. Correct. And you need to find that tricky um, balance. You do. And to to remember that we're built a certain way and the reason our minds and bodies are connected the way they are is so we take care of each other. Mm-hmm. And when we start to dehumanize people or when we start to wear our fear glasses... And we start to look at people and say, they're the problem. And we say, you know, I, I'm so in fear and I feel so unsafe in my own body. I'm going to blame someone else right. to find safety. It's really another numbing agent, Todd. Right. Right. I'm going to blame you. I'm going to ex- take all that fear I have and I'm going to, you know, project it onto you. And now I feel safe. And it's all baloney. Right. Y- you don't feel safe. Y- 
there is no more safety by saying a them thing, yeah, us and them. Yeah, it's just something, it's pretend. Exactly. It's not real. And the caravan is just now. There will be something else in of two course. weeks. There will be something else in a year. There will be something. Well, we use fear to control people. Well, and this goes to what I say, it seems like on every Zen talk or every other show, which is you got to be stand guard at the gate of your mind. You do. What are you going to allow into it? Because yeah, I could go find some news clips that's going to make me feel afraid about what's going on sure. in the world today. And there's so many more examples of things that are going well in the world. Yes. But we, that's not on the news because the news is built to sell advertising and they know that the quickest path is fear. Let, that's the reason we want, I mean, again, <laughs> sorry, I'm just trying like, to Like so, So my thing is I would much rather watch Haunting Hill, what's it called? Hill House. Hill the House. Of Hill House. <laughs> that's my version of feeling afraid. Right. I would rather do that than watch certain news networks who are built to make you afraid of quote unquote real stuff. Correct. So, so I will tap into that feeling, but I'll tap into it in what I think is a healthier way. Well, both programs are trying to get your attention through fear, right? Sure. The reason that I really wanted to watch Hill House, I didn't know how deep it was. I was just like, ooh, this is a spooky show. Yeah. Someone told me it'll be good. And I didn't know how deep that movie was or that show was going to be. And I was like, wow, this is worth it fear. Mm -hmm. To me, it's worth it fear. Yeah. Because we got to the core, which was what ends up being, I don't want to ruin anything, but well, let they, me just say this. Yeah. The last sentence that someone says is just be kind to each other. Yeah. Okay, so if you're looking at Hill House and you're like, how the hell is that the last sentence? It is. Mm -hmm. and is that the last sentence of the show? Of one person. Oh, really? Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. It's probably one of my favorite moments. Okay. And so that's really what our fear is doing is it's keeping all these siblings, going back to Hill House here, all these siblings are separate from each other angry at each other, yep. disconnected because none of them are telling the truth about how they feel and maybe not even what they've done. Some of them have done things to each other, but more it's about what they've done in their own lives because of their fear. Mm -hmm. Like think of what Stephen chose to do mm -hmm. and then lied to everybody about yeah. it. And then Theo ended up completely protecting her body because yeah. I'm not going to feel anything anymore. Right. And then you know, Shirley made a really poor choice and then started being angry at everybody else, but yeah. she's the one who did it. Yeah. So you know, and then we, and then, you know, then what's his name? Uh, Luke is an addict mm -hmm. and Nell is, has all sorts of issues. You successfully <laughs> lost most people. I know, but there are some people who have watched it. True. Okay. And that's the other part is everybody deals with fear and shame and guilt and trauma differently. But it's a decision. We have the ability to create some space through breath work to make a decision is what are you going to fill your mind up with? And how, what what models of the world are you going to attach yourself to? Right. And let me say just because of you said that and a lot of people who experience trauma or have PTSD would take exception to saying it's a decision. Okay. Trauma is trauma. Right. And it is real. And I have felt the terror of trauma personally. I've worked with people who still every day feel the terror of trauma. So it's real. So that's not the decision. But what you're saying is, how are we going to deal with the trauma? Right. It's going to be, like I said, f fear and terror are tapping you on the shoulder yeah. and saying, look at me. Yeah, it's so weird. And I might get in trouble for saying this, but I have a good friend. I won't name his name, but okay. he has dealt with more trauma than anybody I've ever seen. Do you know who I'm talking mm -hmm. about? I do. And he's struggling, but he's also doing well, you know, once again. Relatively speaking, yeah. You know, he's had some unbelievable trauma done to him. 
but he's he keeps moving forward and he keeps trying his best and that doesn't mean anybody who's dealt with trauma who can't find the strength to move forward i find compassion for you i love you i want you to do what's best but there comes a point where what are you going to what are you going to do with this trauma and sometimes it's 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 it takes you over and there's nothing you can do about it but can you find moments where you're like how could i move through this and easy for me to say because I haven't done, I haven't had the trauma that my friend has or what other people have had. So. And you've learned how to detach from your body. Sure. So you're protected from like sometimes when I say I'm feeling a certain thing or when I have a breakdown, it doesn't make any sense to you because you don't feel your body the way I feel my no. body. If you were completely feeling your body, mm. it might be too much for you, Todd. Right. Because when you were little, you figured out a way like this is too much. Right. I'm not, I'm going to shut down these doors. Yeah. Um, and it probably kept you sane and safe. Right. So do you see how trauma can, like, this is what happens to children um, and even adults in situations when they're traumatized, especially with things like abuse and molestation and rape and that kind of thing, is they actually disassociate mm-hmm. and become, like, shut down one area so they can be, go into another area in their mind and protect themselves from what's happening. It's almost like floating above your body. Yeah. So our brain... And our body loves us. Yeah. It's trying so hard to protect us. And then we have to, or it, it's in our best interest to try and keep those two pieces connected, yeah. the mind and the body. Like this guy, um, I always say his name wrong, Bessel van der Kock, his, his book, The Body Keeps Score, what he says is the first step is just talking about it. Mm-hmm. You just say it and you say it in a safe way. You don't say it out to the world or to people who don't you don't trust. You talk to a therapist, you talk to someone who loves you. Like what sets, and you know this in our, what sets me free, Todd, when I like, what do I need to do if I'm struggling with something? Like what do I do, especially with you? Uh, I need a hint. Well, I just told you, I just told you I talk. Oh, yeah. Well, so, the answer seemed a little obvious. It did. But. I'm sorry. It was a setup. Um, but And so someone will say, oh, you talk too much or you have so many problems or whatever. I actually have no more problems than anyone else. But when I feel something, if I talk about it, that's the first process of realigning. And so for those of you who feel shame or feel like this is something I can't discuss or nobody understands, that's your first path to healing. Um, this We don't have much time left. And I, don't, I, I ask this question because I don't know the answer. Are there other ways of doing it other than talking? Maybe our love language isn't talking. Maybe it's something else. Like are there... or or is every human being hardwired that the best thing you can do aside from breathing is to talk it through? Maybe this person's not a talker. Maybe he has to move his body in a certain way in order to process this emotion. Like it doesn't... Absolutely. When I say talk, I mean it in a like journaling, say it, own it, um, writing a note, dancing, Mm. um, yoga. But if you're... Sometimes we do things to override it instead of go toward it. Right. Like, what's the thing from Star Wars? You know, the cave you fear to enter is the one that holds... What does Yoda say? The cave you fear to enter... Or maybe it's Joseph Campbell. Because you know uh, yeah, in Star I, Wars... No, Yoda says to Luke, uh, what's in there? He's like, only what you bring with you. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. That's it. Or everything you want is on the other side of fear. Mm-hmm. Okay? So what that means is it doesn't mean you pretend you're fearless. It doesn't mean that you don't listen to fear. It means that you, when it taps you on the shoulder, you look at what it's afraid of. And if it's afraid 
of something that happened to you or something you feel ashamed of, you unpack it. You don't have to unpack it all in a day. You don't have to say it all in a day. But everything you're trying to get to is on the other side of that. And what I have experienced in my own life and with the people I've worked with is it's never as bad as it feels. As soon as you start to talk about it and say it, I've said some crazy things to Todd and I've said some crazy things in therapy and as soon as like you have that release you get on the other side of it and you're like oh that was it that's what it was that's what it was that's such a powerful quote it bears repeating say it again the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek and what I get out of that is like you know in men's work we always talk about shadow work it's Mm -hmm. like you think it's safer to not go there, but actually it's the most dangerous thing to do, which is to numb out. Like the, the dangerous thing you can do is to eat or to be overproductive at work or to, to drink. drink. Or to, right. Like that's the dangerous thing. The safest thing you can do is to enter the cave that you fear. And you have to feel the terror in your body to do it. That has been the scariest part so for me. So as human beings, we're built to not... To, to feel comfortable. So it's like a short-term, long-term thing. The reason we don't want to do that is because we don't want to feel uncomfortable entering the cave, n- not understanding that when you walk out of that cave, you will feel 100 times better, and the long-term value of your life will be better as a result of it, but we can't get past that initial fear. Correct. But if you can penetrate through that fear and go there, then you will be a a healthier human being as a result. And it's interesting, your words that you use, because you said we are looking for comfort, and so we want to override it, but really we are built to manage it. We actually can do it. People do it all the time. So when we're like, I will, because I have had the feeling that- But don't you it, think those are the exceptions? And most of us are, are, go ahead. No, hold on. What I have felt in my own life is that, I have felt the, if I feel this or look at this, I will die. And I have had my clients say that to me. I can't look at this or else I'll die. That is that fear of that feeling of terror. And by the way, if you have that feeling, please talk to a professional to to work through this. I'm not saying do it by yourself, a professional, someone who knows what they're doing, but I have felt that feeling, but we actually, our bodies can do it. So when you say we're built to go toward comfort, we're just as built to handle pain and be resilient. So like we have the hardwiring available to get through it. A lot of us think we've told ourselves we can't. So how come most of us don't do it? Because of what you just said before that, which is we want to go toward comfort. Like fear is fear for a reason, right? Like this all becomes a little muddled. But it comes full circle because you're like fear is your friend. Correct. It's telling you where to go. It's saying look over here. If you don't feel that fear, then you don't even know that there's a cave around the corner. You got it. You got it. And, and that that cave, so fear, fear can tell you sometimes don't do this and you can listen, which is, that's usually the very instantaneous response. Don't cross the street. Don't, Mm -hmm. you know, but the long-term fear, the thing that keeps coming back, which is very different, that's saying something in me, there's a secret I'm holding. There's a shame I'm feeling. There's something I don't want to look at. There's something I don't want to admit to. There's something I'm doing that I feel that is self-betrayal. Like I... That's it's very quick for me. Like I uh, had a session the other day where um, it was my session where I was talking about the fact that the thing I'm working on the most right now is not betraying myself Mm -hmm. because I used to make everybody else feel so comfortable about what they were saying or doing, even if they were offending me. And so I would walk away feeling like I was betraying myself. And so that and I would get that pit in my stomach and that fear. And I'm starting to how about this language? Work with it. Work with it. Yeah. You're never going to get rid of fear. It's there for a reason. 
We honor it. We value it. Don't let it ride shotgun. But don't let it drive. Yeah. And don't let it, and this is, brings it back to the beginning. But you have to welcome fear into your car. It, well, it's, it's there anyway, even if you don't welcome it, if right? Can, as long as you can tap into it, because there's a lot of guys I work with, they're like, I'm not afraid of anything. Which tells me they're more afraid than average people. Yeah. If you can't even admit you're afraid, yeah. then you're obviously more afraid than you think. Yeah. Because we all have it. It's not a feminine quality. Yeah. We it's a human all, quality. Yeah. And it, it keeps us alive. And it's there no matter what. And if you pretend it's not there, it can drive. Mm-hmm. And if you... So fear is there, but you don't have to wear its glasses. Yeah. You don't have to say, this is my viewpoint. And this gets us back to voting. <laughs> Vote for something hopeful. Vote for civility. Vote for decency and love and compassion, whatever that means to you. But if you're voting because you're afraid of something, um, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm afraid of not being civil. So mm-hmm. I guess this is, a, this is a hard thing to say in yeah. a simple sentence, but just vote. I mean, it, you know, like I guess I, when it comes down to it, I just want everyone to get out there. That's mm-hmm. the most important thing. And I'm not going to tell you how to do it. You got, you know what to do. That's not my job to tell you how. But my hope is is that we can take our fear glasses off yeah. and maybe hand them back to, you know, fear sitting in the back seat, say, you can wear these and I honor you, but I am going to look through a lens of decency mm-hmm. and compassion and civility. But I need you fear yeah. because I don't want to be taken advantage of. But at the same time, I want my regular lens to be love. So You know what I'm afraid of, sweetie? What? I'm afraid of not uh, talking about oh. our, our bald-headed beauty of a partner. I know, and getting to yoga on time. Jeremy Kraft, he's a bald-headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout Chicagoland area. His number is 630-956-1800, avidcode.net. If you have any projects coming up, give Jeremy a try. He is the man. He's the bomb. He can do it. Um, and then um, I also do coaching. I coach guys. So go to toddadamscoaching.com if there's any guys out there that want to uh, work on themselves a little bit. And just finishing up for those of you who are interested in the book and the guy I was talking about, Bessel uh, Vanderkoek, um, Becoming Wise is a podcast uh, that Krista Tippett does. And she he, he is on an episode. It's in 2016. But you can look him up, Bessel, B-E. We'll put it in the show notes, sweetie. Okay, good. And also just, you know, the bottom line is... Own yourself fully, all the pieces, your mind, your thinking, as Todd said, mind your mind, Um, trust your body. It's not all simple. Um, It's a process, but at the, the heart of it all is goodness and love. That's what we come from. So let's not lose sight of it and vote. Keep trucking. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio so you never miss an episode and feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's 25 bucks a month where you'll get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions. If you can't join us live, don't worry. You can still access all Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page and get discounts on everything that we offer. Get your tickets for our annual Zen parenting conference on March 8th and 9th, 2019. Sweet. 
Get Your Brave On with Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambeck, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and Devorah Heitner, and enjoy a weekend in a warm and friendly environment of like-minded people. Tickets are available at zenparentingradio.com. Sweetie, it's going to be off the hook. I know. Um, interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. They're not your three books. Well, your three books. Thank you. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Um, guys, want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? Good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, FaceTime. You choose. If you're in Chicago, contact me about the tribe. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And don't forget about our 2019 Unplug, Connect, and Transform Retreat. More, more on that later. Special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft, from Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support, Jeremy. Sweetie, he's a bald head of beauty. I know this. All right, everybody, keep trucking. See you next week. Adios.